Welcome to episode 127 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Stein, and Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is Derek Reboot Heemsbergen. Ooh, uh, reboots are pretty cool. Actually, I thought of a name for myself today, if you All don't right. mind. And right. that nickname is Derek, when the moon hits your eye like a trail in the sky, that's Olivier Heemsbergen. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good. <laughs> that's the show. Oh, my God. Like. Have fun, have fun. The Olivier this, Fandom Podcast. I think Derek's going to have to do the nicknames from now on because that was really damn good. And I'm no, that took way too much uh, planning. Don't, but it don't was count good. No, no, it was really good. It was really good. Uh, then we also have Caitlin, fellow bird of prey, Argyros. I have joined your flock, Rob. Damn straight you have. And then we've also got Nick Fever Dream Ransbottom. I'm pretty sure this is real and not a fever dream, but I, I'm a little iffy on it. I, I used to get fever dreams real bad when I was a kid, like waking up like cold sweat, like screaming at my parents are just like, yeah, you're having a fever dream. Just please relax. Like, <laughs> not fun. Not fun. The Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Sweat. Yeah. Damn. Oh, cool. Damn. All right. So we got games to talk about today because 2017 has just been like beating us over the head with a pipe wrench, like over and over again with more and more games. And uh, I think the first game we're going to talk about is Prey. This is coming to us from uh, the developers of Dishonored 1 and Dishonored 2, Arcane Studios. They also did uh, one of the Might and Magic games back in the day and then Arcs Fatalis, which I think only nerds played. Uh, That was not an insult. That's just saying it was a very like small game that a lot of people really, really like and it's on PC, and I've never played it, even though I own it. So, uh, full disclosure when it comes to Arcane, I absolutely adored Dishonored 1. Absolutely adored it, loved it, put like, I think close to 80 hours in it, like playing it multiple times. I played through the DLC. Really, really loved Dishonored 1. Uh, Dishonored 2, I believe last year I named it my Disappointment of the Year. Uh, Just a game that I felt didn't have the... What was that? I just said, really? Yeah, uh, that was my dis- disappointment of the year. Um, a game that really didn't have the spark that Dishonored 1 had. It was basically telling the exact same story of Dishonored 1 again. And even worse, it was basically just the DLC for Dishonored 1 again, where you're fighting the witches and like down to the main antagonist and how you take her out was even very similar. It, it just didn't really feel all that great the level design felt a little slapdash i was just really not into this game and it was it was a real bummer like i was super looking forward to dishonored 2 it ended up coming out really just disappointing me last year arcane announced that their uh texas studio was working on prey now We've got to go into a little bit of conversation here. Prey was originally a first person shooter i want to say for xbox three sixty and p c 
It was a game about uh, vagina portals. That's the main extent that I know about it. Lots of portal. (laughs) (laughs) No, in all seriousness, like it was a game based around portals, like a standard first person shooter. uh, And everybody comments that the portals look like vaginas. So that's. that's... It was a lot of uh, Native American shamanism and stuff. Yeah. Uh, this has, and then there was going to be a Prey 2, which was going to take the, uh, I believe the protagonist to Prey 1 and put him into like a bounty hunter, like traveling through the stars, Guardians of the Galaxy style capturing people. That looked very interesting, and then it got canceled. And now we have Prey, and this game has nothing to do with any of that. It just has the IP Prey. Uh, and this is just a System Shock game. Like just everybody just come right out and say it. This is a, this might as well have been called system shock three. And Hmm. I say, I say that in a glowing manner. So I've really been enjoying this game. This is uh, for people that played uh, Bioshock one, two, uh, maybe not so much infinite, which was much more of a shooter. This is very much in the vein of like, you are in kind of an ecosystem. You're on this uh, space station, Talos one. There's kind of an ecosystem going on where, uh, you know, the enemies are moving around the environment. You're trying to dodge them. You have uh, different replicators that you can use to make items. You can make hacking tools. You can make repair tools. Uh, you can upgrade your character and give them special powers. I, of course, went for stealth right away because I like sneaking around. And then now I can lift slightly heavy things, which makes life a little bit easier. But this is really in the mold of uh, System Shock or Deus Ex, which makes me very, very happy because as much as I like Deus Ex Mankind Divided, we don't get a lot of games like this, these heavy first-person uh, immersive role-playing games. So I kind of want to open it up. I know other people are playing this right now. What was y'all's first impression of Prey? Because at, at first, I was kind of down on it. I played the PS4 demo, which had uh, significant control issues and also music that would continue to play for 30 seconds after you killed an enemy. Um, and now I'm playing on PC, and the P- PlayStation 4 uh, real version of the game has apparently fixed all those things. I am really, really loving this game right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm in love with it. Um, only about... Uh, I want to say an hour and a half in, if that. Um, but it's the atmosphere is just incredible. It's got a real uh, kind of 1960s version of the future. So like that retro future look. So like lots of piping. Yeah, very Art Deco. Thank you, Caitlin. Very Art Deco uh, design. And so that gives it a real sense of personality, which I really enjoyed. And there have been moments where I've walked in, because it's a research installation, there have been moments where I walked into like a laboratory setting, and I really did feel like I was back in graduate school. Like I was back (laughs) in the physics lab, like everything's kind of exposed, and it's sort of, you know, not really built for um, aesthetics. It's more built for... uh, utility utilitarian yeah and they really nail that sense of design and so as you're moving through these environments the thing i can say about talos one at least at this early stage is that its structure makes sense uh if we remember back to dead space one they talked a lot about the ishimura and how it was going to feel like a real ship they got that to an extent but it was very much a a corridor shooter at its at its base like you, you would levels do, and whatnot yeah like and and they're levels and you're moving through them usually on a linear path there were some branching moments here and there but the the kind of like higher level making the Ishimura feel like a lived in place was kind of building all those pieces together. Talos one very much has that feeling of rapture 
from Bioshock, but even cranked up more. There is a really place. What what an evocative world that was to explore. Uh Bioshock was kind of the game that brought me out of a really long um, aversion to first person anything in general, because I've never been a huge fan of shooters with the exception of a few things like Metroid Prime, um, because that's, and that's less of like a shooter than an atmospheric game. And Overwatch now I like, because Overwatch is a thing. But uh, yeah, I remember Bioshock had such an amazing atmosphere. So it's really encouraging to hear that Prey is carrying that kind of idea forward. No, it really is. But even like with Bioshock, I mean, you could backtrack in Bioshock to a certain extent, but it was still kind of a a linear, you progress to this area and then you progress to the next area and you don't necessarily feel how they're all connected into one big city because of the way the game sort of herds you through the story. But already, like I've only... Like I've only played a few hours as well, but already I can feel how I, I hesitate to call it an open world. It's been described as an open world. It's it's an open world to the extent that you have loading screens whenever you go to a new area, but it feels much more like an actual organic uh, place that you can actually see the structure of. And literally, you can, you, you can see the structure when you go outside in space. You can fly around in space, and when you have airlocks unlocked, you can literally use that to travel from one side of the space station to the other, which is really cool. I can't wait to open up more airlocks. Yeah, the, the moment where I got out into space, it, it's probably going to be my moment of the year so far. <laughs> they got the sense of movement in space so right. And and the way I, I can describe that is when you first use your thrusters on your suit to move out, if you stop the thrusters, you continue you to keep move. going. And that, and like, as a physics teacher, I, like, squealed. I was just like, yes, you got the sense of movement. And you can roll yourself around, and you have to break in order to bring yourself to a stop. It, it just, it takes those moments in Dead Space 2 of moving around the environment, uh, moving around the sprawl with Isaac, and it just elevates it to an even higher level. It is just, that that was such an awesome moment and just this sense of freedom while still feeling very claustrophobic, while still feeling like you're being hunted constantly by these enemies. I want to talk about the enemies for a second because I, I feel I like them, but I don't like them for the reason I thought I was going to like them. So the, these uh, alien-like enemies called uh, Typhon, they come in different varieties, and the base variety is a Mimic, which is basically a head crab from Half-Life that can transform into objects in the environment. These things are bastards. These things are complete and total bastards, and I love them. Like, they will, like, spring on you out of nowhere. They cause massive amounts of damage and can kill you in just a few hits. There's a real sense of danger to these enemies that I haven't felt before in a first-person shooter. Like, it gives it almost a survival horror quality Mm -hmm. to it. Oh, yeah, because finding a balance between dangerous and just annoying is extremely difficult with those kinds of uh, games. Mm-hmm. The, these guys are very dangerous. Like you can take them out, and they give you they give you a couple means to take them out. So early in the game, you get the glue gun, which is kind of an unwieldy device that you can use to uh, freeze enemies, or you can use it to like build staircases or build barriers to hide behind. Uh, and it, it's a little unwieldy. I'm guessing with a couple upgrades, it'll start feeling a little bit better. Uh, you can use that to freeze the mimics real quick because they move around so spastically, and then go up and hit them in your wrench. This is a shock game. I mean, you have a wrench. That That's all I need to say for, like, old people like me that remember those kinds of titles. Uh, but, like, the phantom enemies, which are, like, the humanoid enemies wandering around Talos 1, 
these guys are mothers. Like they, they will hit you super hard. The way they move around the environment is super creepy. Uh, Caitlin, you were saying before you got them talking to you at one point. Well, yeah, because I, I play with subtitles on. So if you hear them like mumbling, they're actually speaking and they're talking about weird things like even if we're dead, it's not over. And we thought we were alone in the universe or whatnot. So you realize, especially when you meet some of them that have names, they're people or they were people and they're still talking as if they were people and yet they want to you know, murder your face. And that just turns the creep factor all the way up. Yeah. Yeah, they are really creepy. They hit you with a kind of projectile-like attack, so they're super dangerous at range. Um, I invested in stealth, like I said, uh, very early in this game, and so what I've kind of taken to is like getting behind them, gluing them in place, and then just coming up and busting a shotgun right in their face. And that's been very, very effective because they kind of like recoil when you hit them with that shotgun and they move around the environment like they try to get spacing from you. But what's really cool is that these things feel like they're natural parts of the environment and that they're moving around and looking for you, but you don't have to fight them. I think that's the big difference between this game and the Bioshock games. In Bioshock 1, you basically kill every splicer you mm-hmm. run into. And this game, you don't really have to do that. You can avoid the enemies, you can move around them, you can distract them, and I really, really like that. It makes it feel, it leans more into the System Shock or Deus Ex sense of you can get around these enemies without necessarily having to fight every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Um so just just for my own information, uh, you were saying that you were going with a stealth build, and so I'm curious about what, what makes this RPG like. So there's like a skill progression system or a skill tree kind of thing? So there's a skill tree very similar to uh, what you have in Deus Ex, like the ability to upgrade uh, how like the heavy objects you can lift in the environment, uh, giving you upgrades for like your hacking. So like this thing might be a hacking level two. So you have to upgrade your hacking to that point to get in there. Uh, the stealth is, was kind of weird because at first it didn't feel like I had a lot of stealth capabilities. Now with uh, my first and second stealth upgrades, I can walk and run without alerting enemies and they don't oh, seem okay. to, they don't seem to hardly notice me anymore if I'm far away from them. So the, the RPG mechanics are kind of un under the hood a little bit, but they're definitely there. You also have uh, upgrades when it comes to your weapons, like increase the damage by 5%, increase the damage by 10%. Uh, I haven't even gotten to the neuromods that give you the Typhon abilities. I haven't gotten that far in the game yet, but I know from like trailers and stuff, you can eventually gain the ability to turn into a mimic. So like you can mimic things in the environment, like you can make yourself into a coffee mug. There's like a flame Uh. attack that you can use for like an area of effect spell. Um, that's really cool. Does that kind of answer your question, Derek? I I agree. It's it's on the cusp of being an RPG, but I think it follows enough in the old System Shock vein to cover it. Whereas Bioshock went much more actiony shooter. Yeah, no, that answers it. And now that I know that uh, I can play as a coffee mug, this might be my game of the forever. (laughs) Any any game in which I can get coffee into me in the most efficient manner possible, I'm there. It might be mimic coffee, though. Yeah, after the (laughs) intro, you're never going to want to drink coffee ever again. Oh, no! (laughs) You're going to be suspicious of every empty cup and like, wait a second, that's a mimic, isn't it? 
<laughs> and, and like numbers fly off enemies when you hit them, so they have a hit, a hit point. They have a hit point pool, so like you're you're like you get a two hundred percent damage bonus if you hit them when uh, they're unaware of your presence. I've been using that to great effect on like mimics from long distance. Just like one quick silence pistol shot will take them out. Um, it, it, I'm just blown away by this game, and I, I don't mean to make it sound like I'm bashing on Arcane. I'm not, but it feels like all of their creativity and all their ingenuity went into this game, whereas Dishonored 2 kind of felt like just a standard sequel. And I can even feel that a little bit in the nature of how you move around the environment and collect things. And Caitlin was saying before, like you collect everything in this game, mm-hmm. like a banana peel. You might pick it up because then you can take it to a recycler and then that will give you organic material that you can use to craft. So like there is a reason it doesn't doesn't have fallout or like normal Bethesda syndrome, Skyrim syndrome, where it's like, I don't know if I'm going to need this cheese wheel, but I guess I'll pick it up. No, you will pick up a baseball glove and break it down because you might need those components later. And that's allowed me to basically carry a lot more shotgun shells and uh, pistol rounds. Okay. And so like, the big thing for me is I know the the Kotaku guys have been really big on turning off uh, UI indicators. I kind of agree with that to an extent. I don't know how in the world you would play Breath of the Wild without any UI like that. Like maybe I'm just terrified of it. Um, Dishonored Two was really like too focused on its UI. There were moments where like you would pull out the heart to look for the runes and the uh, the bone charms in the environment to make yourself stronger, and you just saw a cacophony of stuff on your screen of just like here's five rune charms and no idea how to get to them. And the worst part was it didn't feel like you would find them naturally just through exploration. Like you would miss them. It was very easy to just walk right past them. This sense of place of like, Oh, who would have thought there's a recycling machine in the machine shop. That makes sense. I will go to the machine shop to use the recycling machine or, Oh, I made it into this um, Medilab office and there is a design document for how to make med kits. That makes sense. So like this natural sense of exploration, like I keep the mission indicators on so I get a rough idea where I'm going, but this game is really rewarding exploration and there's a real verticality to that exploration, like finding vents and stuff to travel through Deus Ex style to avoid the enemies on the ground. Oh, I'm just so in love with this game right now. I'll tell you what, thanks to the magic of technology, I just used my web browser to access the PlayStation <laughs> Store and download the demo to my PS4 in the other room. So, now, Fair warning on that PS4 demo, the uh, the input lag is very, very bad. So oh, really? You, yeah, it's a real shame. I, I hope Bethesda goes in and updates the, uh, the UI to fix that. And also, like... So the music in the game is kind of weird. I love the eerie, like, undertones of it. It's the same guy who did uh, the Doom soundtrack from last year, which might be one of the best hard metal soundtracks ever in a video game. Um, It's really, really good, but I will say the stings when you find enemies is maybe a little overbearing. Mm -hmm. And in the demo, uh, Derek, after you kill that enemy, the music might play for another 30 seconds. So that's... Yeah, so... But, 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 it's still... Good music, like some of the the yeah. opening uh, sequence when you're seeing the like the quote unquote the credits and the title. Yeah. Yep. Holy crap, that's amazing! And there have been little ditties that have been really cool, giving me it gives me kind of a you know Mass Effect kind of vibe with this yeah. sort of gritty okay. uh, techno sci-fi kind of not techno, but you know uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Spacey or uh, yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, and it, it's got a synthetic feel to it. Uh, it's very John Carpenter, or uh, if you like, one of the best parts about Dying Light was its music. The music in Dying Light had that real 1980s, like, like this has that, and it's real moody, real eerie. I love how they're able to make Talos One very eerie without throwing blood and gore all over the place. That's the thing that's really struck me. I was originally a little, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a gruesome dude. I watched the new Evil Dead movie and I laughed my whole way through it. Like I was just having a ball with it while my wife is like hyperventilating in a corner. Uh, but I was really struck by how it didn't look like this game was going to creep me out. And then once you're in there and you got the controller in your hand and you're moving around this environment, even though it just looks kind of mundane and has that art deco look, it is creepy as hell in this game. And you never know when a mimic is just going to be like hiding in plain sight and just spring on you like a damn face hugger. Hmm. This is really good. I'm, I hope and it's it- also like the, the, the opening setup of the story, uh, which I don't necessarily want to spoil, but there's kind of a, that element of, you're not just trying to figure out what happened, like, you know, in true, Bioshock-like fashion, you you wind up in a place after it's all gone to hell, and you're trying to piece together what happened. But you, there's the, the an element of time displa- uh, displacement involved as well, yeah. where you're you're trying to piece together what happened to you because you're not sure what happened to you either, and that's also upping the creep factor a little bit for me. Yeah, I I feel there's one thing I'm a little worried about with the story is that I think I know what the big reveal is going to be because I I read a lot of sci-fi, I've watched a lot of Twilight Zone, I've watched a lot of Outer Limits. I really hope that if I'm right that turns out to be a reveal in the early part of the game with more mm-hmm. mysteries to come. It would really bum me out. I, I, I won't go into spoilers, obviously, but I've got a guess for what's really going on, and it will really bum me out if I get to the end of the game and that turns out to be it. Maybe other people won't have that problem, but I think if you've if you've seen a lot of media, I think you can see the direction this is going. Mm, okay, yeah, not to not to spoil, but I had that same sort of mindset about Persona Five. Oh, really? Just, really? Yeah, Aww. it was just like like I felt. Yeah, I predicted early on what I thought was going to happen, um, and I was hoping that it would defy those expectations, and it did to a degree. So it's. Yeah, pr- predictability is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can take a little bit of your motivation out of it, which is a shame. Like, it, it can just, you know... It, okay, So to go back to Doom, like last year's uh, big Bethesda game around this time, we all knew, like, the main computer guy was just going to screw you over, like, even when he's telling you he's not going to. But it didn't matter. Like, there there was almost a tongue-in-cheek property to it. So I think you can, you can play with audience expectations a little bit, and maybe that's what Prey is actually doing. But I, I think I've kind of figured out the twist fairly early on. But let's, let's see what happens. I'm just, I'm very invested in this game. It's amazing that um, I've been having a real hard time lately with, like, when I'm playing a game and there's any downtime, I'll, like, instantly pick up my phone or like check my email or something and i found myself myself even doing it to an extent with persona 5 this game is so goddamn immersive that like Mm -hmm. i i don't want anything distracting me like i am just i am on that space station i am looking for banana peels i am trying to find like documents like i am not nothing else matters right now like my my wife called me this afternoon when i was playing it and like it just like i had to unplug from the experience for a second yeah. And time just seems to like fly. Like 
I bought it on impulse. Uh, it wasn't actually even on my radar until this week when we were talking about it and I started watching like the demo footage and trailers. And I was like, that looks cool. Like Bioshock in, in space, Bioshock's beats dead space meets Deus Ex in space, you know, cool. So I bought it on a whim and I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to put a few hours into it tonight, but I, I kind of want to still stick to the Persona 5 because I'm still trudging my way through that. Uh, and then all before I know it, it's like I've played for like three or four hours and I was doing it last night too. And before I knew it, it was like four or 5 a.m. And I'm like, what? And I didn't feel like I was wasting time. I, it was just, I was so drawn into exploring the world and trying not to crap my pants when getting <laughs> surprised by mimics and big old phantoms. So I, it, that's a good quality, I think, if the game can really draw you in like that and keep you immersed and not, you know, looking at the clock or wanting to look at your phone, except for the load times, which are a little bit too long. Yeah, I noticed that when I played it on PS4. I just upgraded my PC to a solid-state drive for the first time, so I don't have that problem right now. But, like, (laughs) uh, I I remember the load times for Deus Ex Mankind divided on my, my old hard drive on my PC. They were terrible. Like, it was almost a minute to get to the Prague hub, hub world. Like, and at one point it was two minutes. It was so bad. I, I will say that I think the load times in prey are a little bad, but it looks great. Um, it runs very, very well on PC. No dishonored two problems of uh, frame pacing. I had to learn what frame pacing was guys where <laughs> we're like, it looks, it, the game says it's running at 60 frames per second, but it obviously isn't because the frames aren't being delivered uh, at the right pace. And so that was a whole learning experience for me. Fantasy um, 15 had that problem too. Yeah, the one thing I will say, like one minor control issue, I, I they do the whole ducking mechanic thing, and a lot of times, like I've just been like right up against a desk, and I've like kept doing the duck down, duck out, duck down, duck out, duck down, duck out, like that. That feels weird. And then there's one really weird glitch I've had where if I'm stealthing and then I jump down to like a surface, I kind of fall through the world a little bit and pop right back up. Feels like a cry engine problem, uh, but I'm sure they'll fix that. It runs very, very well on PC. I know some people are saying that the the game looks dated, and I I could kind of see that to an extent it maybe doesn't have that visual panache of some games right now but the art design is out of control in this game like just uh, whatever got into the water over at bethesda when it came to art design like keep it up even though i didn't like fallout 4 that much i still got the art book for that game because it is just gorgeous to look at those environments and if prey has an art book i'm probably going to pick it up because i'm an idiot and i just need more of that art in my eyes like now give it to my eyeballs right now speaking of art books um i know that we keep circling back to persona 5 and we will talk about it a little (laughs) bit more today but 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 prima games is doing a persona 5 art book coming out in june i believe yep it's like 23 bucks on amazon right now i'm kind of curious to see what's in it i had actually uh I was too terrified to look at the art book that was included with the premium edition of Persona 5 because <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, so for those of you listening, uh, if you're still playing Persona 5 and you have that and you've been afraid to look at the art book, it's pretty safe. Um, the only thing I guess it does spoil is the first personas of some of the characters. So like, if you don't know what, um, say, Haru's persona looks like, you might want to not look at that, but it doesn't spoil anything like super major. Mm-hmm. But yes, I'm curious to see what all they put in the, the other art book for that. Yeah, I'm also a sucker for art books. No, I am too. Um, like I, I wasn't a huge fan of. Uh, well, 
I think I'm a defender of The Evil Within, another Bethesda game. I think I'm a defender of that game, even though it has some significant problems. It's a 7 out of 10 that I desperately wish was a 9. But the art in that game was really, really good. And I think we're going to get a sequel announcement at E3. So, yeah. Fingers crossed. Well, after Resident Evil 7, I, I... uh, I don't know because Resident Evil Seven was amazing, and I need I need more survival horror in my my life. And I, I think Prey is kind of fitting that a little bit. Not necessarily the horror part, but the survival part definitely. Like moving around the environment, get, picking up everything, moving stuff around. There, oh, oh, Caitlin, I don't want to give it away to the listeners, but did you do the the one puzzle yet? There's a there's a really cool puzzle when you get to the room with the the looking glass mirrors. Did you do that part yet? Uh, in the lab, in the, in the hardware. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Well, because it kept playing and I was like, wait a second. It's, and then, yeah. And I, I noticed the thing that he uses for it earlier. I was like, it's, that's got his name on it. That must be important for something. Yep. Sneaky little, can I, bastard, I'm going to say it. (laughs) That one's a pretty low level square. It was really, really good. Like that, and again, it's you can ignore that stuff if you want to. Like you can, I, I have a tendency, I think, when I'm playing these games with a mouse and keyboard. Like the mouse and keyboard mode puts me into like pure action mode. Like I play Doom with mouse and keyboard on my PC. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna just murder some demons. With these games, I actually play with a controller because I find it makes me slow down a little bit. Like I can, st- I can move through an environment with that analog movement. I can kind kind of move around a little bit, not worry too much about, you know, going from point A to point B. I don't know why, but like the mouse and keyboard instantly puts me into a shooter mentality. So I'm actually pe- playing pe- uh, Prey with a uh, with a controller on my PC. I know somebody's probably like, heathen! But like, it, it just slows me down naturally. And so there was another puzzle where like, there was a safe and I started looking around the environment and I found the clue. And it was an environmental clue and they didn't have to do the Dishonored 2 thing of like, go to this spot to find the clue. Like they just kind of trusted me. And it also didn't feel as cryptic as some of the stuff in Dishonored 2 where there were moments of like, I know that the clue for the safe is somewhere in this environment. I've gone up and down and I cannot find even a slight clue. So screw it. I'm going to move on. It feels like praise being a little bit nicer with that stuff without handholding, if that makes sense. It's really good. I'm really digging this game, Derek. You need to play the demo. Don't I know? Yeah, it's- I won't judge the because I felt the same way about um, Deus Ex: Mankind Divided. I was I played it on PS4 and I just didn't jive with it. And I think if I would have played on PC, it would have had a it would have left a better impression on me. So yeah, and the control issues are better uh, in the final oh, release. I was going to ask Nick. I haven't had issues. Nick, yeah. are you playing this on PS4? Uh, yeah, yeah. I have okay. a Mac, so I don't do any PC gaming. Yeah. <laughs> And have you noticed any issues, really? Uh, no, it's actually, it's been running well and everything. Uh, I had to adjust the sensitivity a little bit. Yes, it's way too low at the start. Way too low, oh my goodness. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's been running perfectly. Okay, cool. Low times are a little rough, though, like, like everyone said. It's, it's, I will anticipate a mixture ooh. of all of your experiences. Just yeah. remember, tag the enemies. Yes, tag oh my god, Describe how to tag him again, because I didn't know how to do this, and it really irritates me that I had no clue. Zoom in uh, on the PS4, that's the R3 button, and you will be able to zoom in and zoom out with the D-pad. Just lock on to a Mimic or any enemy for just a few seconds, and it'll tag them automatically. 
And if they scamper off into a cup or whatever, you're going to know where they are and what okay. they are. And now, does that tag last if, like, you leave the room and come back? Does it do the annoying thing where, like, you'll still be able to see that tag from, like, three rooms over? To my knowledge, I ran into that a little bit. Uh, I was above an enemy when I tagged them, and as I kept going throughout the level, uh, it kept showing me the tag for that enemy. And I was like, oh, my God, it's behind me. Oh, no, it's actually 65 meters below me. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, it's... It's better to tag them than to, you know, get surprised. Surprised, yeah. yeah. See, I don't have the dog from, uh, I don't have D-Dog from Metal Gear Solid 5. D-Dog, like, broke Metal Gear Solid 5 because he just tagged everybody automatically. It was great. He's overpowered. <laughs> just a little bit, but I, I will I will take that. So, um, you know, I want to move away from the Prey discussion, but I am just really happy about this game. I felt super jaded coming off of Dishonored 2, and I was like, man, I don't know, Arcane. Like, what have you guys been up to? I think they were up to this. Like, this game feels... Even the power set feels so much more engaging than Dishonored 2, which, if you were playing as Corvo, you basically had the exact same powers again with the upgraded blank ability. And if you were playing Emily, you were... I I hate to say it, you were playing the not-fun version of Dishonored 2, which really bummed me out. I, I had an idea for a Dishonored game, like... What about if uh, they went with a bad ending from Dishonored 1, and so like Corvo and Emily are like evil, and you were like an up-and-coming person, and the outsider gave you your powers to overthrow Emily Caldwin? <laughs> I think, I, than Dishonored too. I, can I, think I just made a more interesting game than they made. <laughs> like, no, it's, it's, it was the same story to the point that it just didn't feel interesting, and I, I feel like... They went for this real level design that I can appreciate, but I, I like Prey's take on this so far much, much better. It feels more organic. It doesn't feel as handholdy. It doesn't feel as sparse. It's just, oh, man, I really hope the game maintains this. I'm going to be real bummed if it like goes south out of nowhere, but so far I'm really digging it. I'll let you know uh, what happens, and I'll report back when I play it. Yeah? yeah. Do you have a PC that you could play it on, Derek? I think you do. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just uh, would prefer to try it for free first. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So moving away from Prey, um, I think uh, we got to move into a little game. Now, th- this is from the makers of Persona, or at least that's what they're like saying it's, over and over again to try to get my money. The story is written by Katsura Hashino, I think, who was the writer for Persona 2. Okay, maybe. Persona as well, the original. Okay. I may yeah. be completely wrong on that. Yeah, so do not uh, see me hate Mel if I am. So yeah, it's not the same team. Um, this is developed by Furyu, who is a Japanese company who's done some games like uh, Unchained Blades and Legend of Legacy. So they're kind of like, I hate to say it, but they're sort of a B or C tier developer. Like all of their games come out kind of wonky. And I don't think, I don't know, I don't think they're all universally awful, but I think Caligula Effect is by far the worst game I've played of theirs. And uh Having having a, a veteran Persona staff member does nothing for it whatsoever. It does not benefit from that. No, it's literally, I think, the most mediocre game I have played in quite some time. Um, you know, there was a lot of potential, uh, I think, with the premise, uh, and especially, you know, having a Persona, you know, like you said, veteran writing the game. But, you know, good concept, horrific execution. 
it is uh it is not fun in the least yeah, i'm actually so, like slogging my way through it oh yeah it's it was a struggle for me too so uh the premise of this game is that you're playing as a group of japanese high schoolers with supernatural powers once again uh you're trapped in a virtual reality called mobius and it's supposed to be like an infinite loop of a high school so it's supposed to be this idyllic existence that you're living out over and over and you're presided over by what is essentially like an evil Hatsune Miku when you get right down to it. It's it's a Vocaloid who's created this world because she's like, I want everyone to be happy. Um, but once you sort of awaken to the fact that you're trapped in a simulation, you're like, no, nah, I want to get out of here. And there are some really interesting thematic ideas at play because they talk about how everybody who's in Mobius is there because they chose to be there. They're escaping their real lives because they were dissatisfied in some way or they felt miserable that they could never change, that they could never accomplish what they wanted to do. So I was really excited to see how some of that might play out. But unfortunately, in my experience, what it has come down to a lot of the time is like, I came to Mobius because I'm fat in real life and nobody would love me and now I'm skinny. And it's like, okay, can we have a conversation about like, maybe you shouldn't, like why it's dangerous to tie your self-worth to uh, like your weight or can can we address that in a meaningful way? But instead it's like, Characters flat out saying like, "Oh yeah, fat people are ugly or unattractive or whatever." And yeah, I uh, I brought that up in Slack actually. Uh, I was very disturbed by the fat jokes. Uh, there's a character named Rose, and a character says she's more like a roast than a rose, and it's just like, my God. Yeah, and even <sighs> even if we were like, even if you accept that those characters are maybe not intended to be likable, or they're saying things because people say things like that in real life, so it's not like. I want every game to present an idealized world where nobody says things that are, uh, you know, I, I'm going to use the word problematic. Like that's, that's not the problem. It's just that they sort of uh, pretend like they're going to address things meaningfully and then they don't. And in my experience, also the story is just very, it's like super straightforward. Um, like anime, tro- every character is an anime trope who has one character trait that they're really exaggerating. And usually they're exaggerating that trait to play up whatever their real life um, history sort of clashes with. So, like, if they're a super confident person in Mobius, they're probably were really meek in real life. So that's, like, it's an interesting idea. It's just that the writing is so bland that none of that ever really comes across in a way that's compelling, in my experience. I keep saying it in my experience. Um, but that aside, for me, what's worse than that is I just think the game is a total chore to play. And it okay. runs like crap. I, I don't know how this game got out the door. You may have seen footage of this pre-release. Um, and, and when I saw it, I was like, oh, I'm sure they're going to clean it up. No, they didn't. This game rate routinely drips, I cannot talk, drops into single-digit frame rate when you're walking around any environment or participating in any battle. What they've done is they've created a system where areas load all at once. Uh, so you'll have like a really big dungeon area that it takes a long time to load, first of all, which is like, whatever. But it has a semi real time battle system. You have four characters in your party and you, it's kind of hard to explain. Like it's sort of, it's positioning based and it's also, it has to do with um, uh, inflicting like juggling enemies in the air or knocking them down. Yeah. It's, it's all revolving around time. So what happens is you have four characters and you queue up their commands all at the same time. And you can actually see a brief vision into the future of how the commands will play out. So you're trying to overlap all of your party's attacks in such a way that it will incapacitate the enemy or like, so character one will knock them into the air. 
Character 2 has an ability that activates when an enemy's in the air and starts hitting them. Character 3 has a thing where once they hit the ground, they do a ground attack, that kind of thing. So you're just trying to layer all of your actions over one another. Um, this is a great idea. I don't think that it necessarily executes well because the the future visions that you have, the imaginary chain as it's called, is not uh, it's not infallible. Sometimes enemies will do things that are unpredictable or an attack will land in such a way that it doesn't activate the combo the way that you thought it would. So it's like, what's the point of showing me my options like this if you're not actually going to play things out the way that I intended to play it out? You know what I mean? It's like strategizing when you, and your strategy just doesn't work sometimes. Uh, have you had that experience, Nick? Yeah, I, I actually thought the game just glitched for me or something. Uh, I've had a, a, a couple of experiences where I go and I plan my attack very carefully and it just lands, like you said, in such a way that the entire rest of the chain is thrown off completely. So for me, I think that's a fundamentally broken battle system because if if you're going to give me this premise around chaining your attacks together before they happen and then have the attacks not chained together the way that I planned it, like what what's going on here? You know, Why the battle I... system is also, it's very slow. It you know, is extremely slow. slow. When you're running into one enemy... And you want to just get through the battle? You can't. You have to press, you know, you have to select an attack three different times for four different characters. Yeah, and each character can also queue up three actions at a time, by the way. So that's, tw- <laughs> that's 12 commands to input at the start of every battle. And like Nick says, when you run into just one enemy and you're like, I just want to steamroll this, you really can't. Because if your attacks don't complement each other, they might just miss the enemy altogether. And each one of those attacks involves a vision into how... Yes. It's going to play out. So, yeah. wow. I, well, I, you can you can like skip through the vision part of it, but you still have to enter the commands. Okay. So, yeah. And uh, you get over-leveled very easily in my experience. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I'm at like level 15 or 17, and I'm only in the second dungeon where everyone else is about level 8. And I have not been grinding at all. I, okay, so I... I... I did feel like I was leveling fairly quickly, but I also noticed that there are lots of very high-level enemies hanging around. Yeah, like, in the first area, there are, like, level 30 enemies that you can't touch. So it's like, what's the point of putting those? And this isn't like a, this is an open world and we want you to come back to this area later kind of thing. It's just, for some reason, there are level 30 enemies hanging around level 5 enemies. Like, it's... The balance is so bad. Uh, I, you know, I, I the game... I think has some good ideas. And to me, it shows kind of a single mind, single mindedness in its design. And that like somebody said, this is the idea I have for the game. And this is exactly how I want to execute it. And nobody ever stopped to say, uh, maybe we should adjust it because it's not actually fun or it's not working properly. You know, like there are good ideas buried beneath it, uh, but they just don't. And for me, they just don't, they don't pan out. But the, I guess the one highlight, and even this is kind of, contentious depending on your taste the highlight is going to be the music because the, oh yeah i do like the music because you are right because you are in a virtual world and you're because the vocaloid is the one who's created the world there's a big emphasis on music thematically as well because the sort of cadre of villains that you fight against are all called the muse the ostinato musicians and each of them composes a different style of music and their music has the power to influence people which is what makes them turn evil and attack you uh, so there are these songs and like every area you go to has its own song. And while you're wandering around, it plays an instrumental version of it. As soon as you enter into a battle, it layers 
vocals in, which I think is very cool. Uh, I really like dynamic music. And the first time I ever heard that sort of thing happen was in Near, funny enough, the first Near. Uh, if you if you played that and you were in the first town, there's the that song, Song of the Ancients, that Devila sings. And when you get close to Devila, she starts playing it on her guitar and like the vocals come out. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. I wish more games would do that. Mm-hmm. So here's a game that does that. And I think that that's, it's pretty novel and I enjoy it. The music definitely, there's all types, but it's almost all j poppy in some way even if some of there's like a heavy metal one and stuff but it's still you know it's like japanese heavy metal in in kind of the way you would expect uh so that's cool the problem is when you're going through the dungeons you're going to be stuck in each one for like four hours and you're you only have that one song the one song is droning on and on for four hours um and it's enough to like it kind of drove me crazy after a while i had to turn it down they are catchy and the the boss like when you fight the boss of the area, it has a sort of another layer of effects over the uh, the song again. So it's even more different. But, oh man, <laughs> it just doesn't have enough diversity, I think is the problem. Yeah, there's just, there's not a lot there either. Um, I know the one, one thing I hate the most is um, they're really touting about the fact that you can recruit 500 NPCs. Oh my God, this oh, is so terrible. That crazy. Yeah, so and, bad. And it, and they're like not unique, right? Or not right. no, they have other versions of main party members. And they they have like unique attacks, I guess, but they're not it's not worth putting in the time and effort to recruit them. Yeah, because the recruitment process is just talking to them and it, like every single person you talk to them and they say, "Hello," it fades to black for a second and it's like, "You talked for a while. You're your friends now." Really? Yeah. yeah. So they didn't even try to like give these NPCs a semblance of a personality. It's no. just blank slate, you know, one, two, three, and then here. And back. That a lot of them repeat. Like uh, it just pulls from one big database of stock phrases, and uh, and that gets worse t- in the uh, the line esque app. I think it's called Wire, uh-huh. where you text each other, and you have three options to choose from when you're texting someone. No matter what you pick, it's always something different. So there's no use in even giving someone the three options to choose from. And they all essentially say the same thing at the same time. Yeah, it's like, what's up, hi, how are things, or something like that. Yeah. No matter what you select, you're just going to get sort of a randomly generated stock phrase in return that means nothing whatsoever. I just, like, I don't... And there's also a really complex web that shows how every character connects to one another that's totally pointless. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, like the... Oh, like a Xenoblade-like? Yeah, exactly. It's like the affinity chart in Xenoblade. But at least in Xenoblade, you can see the the people wandering around. Each of them have like a personality or at least a little sub story to follow. Not so in this game. Uh, yeah. It's just there. Yeah, it's it's there because uh, if you want to get to this character, maybe they're shy. So if you spend time with their friend and you become friends with their friend, they're going to let you become friends with them. You know, they'll they'll stop being shy around you. And again, it's it's pointless. There's do not do not do it. There's no point in doing it. So is there a is there a hub world that's separate from like dungeon crawling or is it just one gigantic no. planned dungeon? It's just dungeon to dungeon and there's yeah. like a, a a room at the beginning of the dungeon where your characters congregate which yeah, you would think it was pretty persona esque but uh, it's yeah. just an entrance really. And the yeah and the first dungeon is a school <laughs> and it's like they they play it off by saying 
oh, since this is a virtual world, they might have not they might not have gotten all the details of what a school really looks like, right? Which is like such BS because it's just it's just hallways and corridors and winding paths that are blocked off by chairs and stuff. Like it is super not fun to play. It's not a good sign that I was less than an hour into this game and I was like, oh no, I don't I don't want to touch this anymore. Mm. So um not I mean I I I don't really take any joy in being really hard on stuff and negative, but like, this is just a game. I felt like it was such a waste of my time. Um, and it's, and they priced this game at 40 bucks. Like, no, I don't understand why Atlas would cannibalize the sales of its own game. It's like the same company released a better version, like a better take on this idea less than a month ago. So why the hell would they choose now to publish this one as well? It sounds yeah, like the, they released a better take on this years ago, too, if you think about oh, like, sure, yeah. older yeah. Persona games, too. That a- it, it kind of feels like, um, to bring back the Resident Evil analogy from a little bit ago, but like it, it's kind of like when you had Resident Evil and then they made Dino Crisis. And they thought, like, okay, let's try to make like a similar game with maybe different things going on so we have another hit franchise. And I agree, release them so close, that's probably the first sign that something's wrong. Wasn't it uh, Resonance of Fate came out the same day as Final Fantasy Thirteen or something like that? Like, Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. give the game... But, but Dino but, like, Crisis was good! Right, but but what I'm saying is, like, the hope... I mean, nobody ever wants to make a bad video game. Like, no nobody sits down and says, man, we're going to make a real pile of shit, guys. That's what we're going to do. Like, <laughs> nobody... Like, at least I really hope not. I hope there isn't some de- game developer out there that's doing that. Everybody wants to make good games, so I think the problem is that then things just don't come together and you end up having this game, the Caligula Effect, whereas they probably desperately wanted this to be another Persona. It doesn't make sense for them to release it so close to Persona 5, but... If you think about it, if you had two gargantuan RPG franchises that sold like gangbusters, I mean, where's the where's the bad part in that? They just yeah. didn't make a, they just forgot the whole making a good game part. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of uh, concerned because when whenever there's a successful concept, there's bound to be you know imitators, and I just worry because I know that Tokyo Xanadu was coming out this year, and I've played I played a bit of it and uh, in the Japanese version, and I liked what I played but I didn't go too in depth because I was waiting for the English version. And I just, and because my Japanese is not like totally up to par. Um, but, but I, I worry a little bit about, you know, is, is the Caligula effect going to suck some of my enthusiasm for Tokyo Xanadu away? Because I know that it's another high school Japanese RPG where they have magical powers and stuff, you know, like I don't think that would be the case, but that, this game really did. It exhausted me. Yeah. And I, I cannot recommend it really for anybody at all. Just listen to the soundtrack if that's your thing, um, mm-hmm. because it's a pretty short soundtrack, all things considered. Uh, but really, I cannot recommend yeah, it. Yeah, if you're going to go into this thinking that, like, oh, it's a hidden gem on the Vita, it's not. It nope. is absolutely not. Please, God, stay away. Mm, that's a real shame. God damn it. Yeah. I was, I was, I was actually about this. Yeah. Like I didn't think it was gonna be a maze balls because it did it looked rough when we saw it, but I thought it had an interesting premise, especially with the battle system. And I was like, oh, this could be kind of an off persona kind of thing. But to hear that it's like that bad is just kind of like I mean, I guess thanks for saving me money that I would have otherwise <laughs> spent, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, go look at go look at some footage of it and whenever it you know the frame rate dips, just know that that's how it runs in game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I really—is it time for the Vita to go? 
Is it time? No, you can no. have my Vita when you pry it from my cold, dead fingers. I, 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 I love the damn you. thing. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But between the Switch and... I mean, the Vita, yeah, there's a Switch. The, and the Vita's a pain in the ass to develop for. Like, I, I, you know, these versions of games coming out on the Vita, like, are compromised. And they're not all that great. And that, that bums me out to say that. Like, I'm not dancing on anyone's grave. I own a Vita, and I love the damn thing when it when it's playing games that I really enjoy. Mostly PSP games. Uh, I just, <laughs> like, I don't know... Do, do we think... Sony does another handheld. Like I, I think now everyone's going to be looking. At, the success of the Switch has now. I, it, I'm not saying that it's reached Wii levels of table flip yet, but with how well this thing is selling with almost nothing to play on it, it kind of shows that people are hungry for this kind of device. And this could be, you know, uh, all of a sudden Sony and Microsoft start making their their Switch versions, their Nvidia Shield. Like, ah, oh, here's the PlayStation Five, and it's like an Nvidia Shield. Like, I, I really don't know what happens yet, but it kind of feels like if there's an option between the Switch and the Vita, I think developers are very quickly going to go for the Switch. Oh yeah, yeah, Which is more powerful. Yeah, more powerful, and it might already have more units sold than the Vita. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm still waiting on Hollow Knight for the Switch. Still waiting. Yeah, I don't know. I know people are always like, oh, Sony learned their lesson. They're not going to do their handheld. But people do the same thing with the PSP, too, about, and that yeah, they were yeah. doing their handheld. And then we got the Vita. So I wouldn't put it past them. And I, you know, sorry, I'm a Sony fangirl. So I would be totally on board a Vita 2 or whatever they want to call it, as long as it gets me the option to play some awesome RPGs on the go. Because that's really... That's what my Vita is. It is a portable RPG machine. I have maybe a few non-RPGs like Sly Cooper and, and Metal Gear Solid on it, but the rest are like all RPGs and visual novels. And that's... I was going to say, visual novels, there are lots of those. Yeah. yeah. So I, up, I mean, As I look up at Steins Gate and I remember how much I didn't like it. And I do think even if they didn't do a handheld, all three of the big names are exploring ways to allow you to play your games not just in front of your TV. I mean, both um, both Microsoft and Sony give you the option to stream from your system to your uh, laptop or your computer. Um, Sony obviously had a handheld. The Switch is a is a hybrid. So even if they didn't do uh, another handheld Sony, I think that they would continue to develop that service. And I mean, like maybe we'd be able to play some of those games on our computers eventually. I don't know. Hmm. It's going to be Sony's press conference is going to be interesting. Like we know Microsoft is going to hit us with Scorpio out the yin yang. <sighs> um, and then it's a question of what does Sony do? Does Sony just bring the pain with lots and lots of games or do they have like a newfangled contraption? Like I'm actually fine with them just having nothing but great games. Like I, that's what I, they do best. I, I think that's yeah. kind of, what are those articles that have been flying around on clickbait websites? Like, uh, yes, Microsoft shouldn't make games like Horizon Zero Dawn. And I'm like, what? I, I'm not even clicking on that. Like, that's, you, you are just desperate for some oh. sexy, sexy clicks. Like, you mean what Spencer said? Yeah, like, what the hell? Like, that is absolute trash. I don't, mm. what was his exact quote? What exactly did he say? Like, I, oh, I, God, I don't want to find it. I don't want to put words into the man's mouth, but it's like, then just clickbait after clickbait started popping up on uh, N4G, and I was like, oh dear, I'm not reading any of this. Like, this is getting stupid. I just don't understand what... I don't understand any of that. Me neither. 
Yeah, I just want good games. Like, who would have thought? I'm actually excited to see the new God of War again. Oh, he actually okay. He clarified his statement. Oh boy! After he made it. Um. Okay, so here's the original quote. The audience for those big story-driven games, I won't say it isn't as large, but they're not as consistent. Uh, you have things like Zelda, Horizon Zero Dawn that come out and they'll do really well, but they don't have the same impact that they used to because uh, the big service-based games are capturing such a large amount of the audience. Oh, that's dangerous thought process. Yeah. Um, he, blah, 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 blah. he began by saying, he to clarify, that he loves single-player games, but they ship into a market dominated by service-based games, which makes it harder for them to shine. Uh, that shouldn't be taken as a hint that Microsoft will only focus on PvP games in the future, but blah, blah, blah. Still, I'm... Mm. That, that's the argument of every game needs to have Call of Duty or Halo multiplayer, because that's the only no. way. That, yeah, I, I don't want... Uh, I, I'm I like my single-player games, damn it. I yes, like to yeah. settle down in the game and immerse myself in a world and a story and get to know characters and listen to the music. Like, I don't... I think there's definitely a group of gamers that like playing the same game over and over again. I mean, hi, I'm the guy who's waving my hand going, I've played like 300, 400 hours of Diablo 3, which is on the <laughs> That's lo- what I was going to say. I was going to say, let me guess, Diablo 4. But, but like, that's on the low end of the spectrum on what some people do. I mean, some people play like 1,200 hours of like Final Fantasy 14. <clears throat> hey, now. So, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Yeah, but like... But that doesn't mean that that's the only type of game that you're playing. So I think that there's a little bit of a logical fallacy here of like, those are the only games that they're playing, so we want to make sure that we sell to them. No, they're, those types of gamers are playing other games at the same time. Like, I was in the middle of Persona 5, <clears throat> excuse me, I was in the middle of Persona 5, and now I'm playing Prey because I'm playing it for review, but also because it's kind of a little bit of a palate cleanser. Like, I put 25 hours into Persona 5, I'm really loving it, but it's nice to play something else for a little bit and then come back to it. Like, this game's going to take me forever to beat, so let me do something else. But that whole games as service thing, that also means that if the game, if you pump millions and millions into a game's online component to bring up Dead Space again, hello, Dead Space Mm -hmm. 2, if you keep pumping money into this component that people aren't buying the game for to begin with, what was the point? Y'all remember the Bioshock 2 multiplayer? That's right. No, I don't. Nobody remembers that. Like that. This just sounds like I I understand games as service, and in some ways, we've seen it work very, very well. Hitman is a perfect example. That is a game as a service that worked because it was a strong single player experience with constant new updates every week for a long time, and now they're doing monthly updates. That's the good idea. I, I mean. I don't know where Destiny 2 ends up in this whole thing. Like, I'm worried as hell about that game. I could see that being a really giant success, or I could see that being a story. I could see it being a total flop, honestly, because I think people are so snake bit by Destiny. Like, even though it's gotten better, I I think some people don't want to play it again. I have no idea where that game ends up. See, that's the original Destiny turned me off because the story was so anemic. Everything else, the combat, the systems are fine, but the story and what you could do with it was so anemic, I didn't have motivation to play that game. Right. And then you look at, you know, Love Final Fantasy XIV. That's a service-based game. You pay a fee to keep playing that game, but it has an incredibly strong story focus. And yeah, you're playing with other people, but large parts of that game are about you and only you, your character, your experience with that story. You can have both. You don't have to say, well, let's focus on 
service. Let's focus on multiplayer. Let's focus on getting people to sign up for our, our online service so they can play multiplayer against their friends. And we can't have any story-driven content. You can do both. And you can. it's also fine to have just story-based games that have no multiplayer component. I am amazed. I am proud of Guerrilla Games for not thinking that they had to shoehorn a multiplayer component into Horizon Zero Dawn and kept it a strong single-player experience because it was a damn good experience. I beat yeah. it a month ago, and I love it. it. It still might beat Persona 5 for Game of the Year for me. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that right now. So, right I now. mean, yeah. yeah well, this is also like- I thought Persona 5 had it in lockdown, and then, of course, Unknown Blade 2 got hinted for the end of the year. And yeah, but... <sighs> this is a crazy, crazy time for games, though. I mean... Every, there's just so much, so much quality on every platform, and except for the, the, the Caligula effect. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean that doesn't invalidate all the other good stuff, though. So. No, but I just wanted to take another dig at the Caligula effect. Yep, 2017. 2017 is going to go down as a crazy year of video games already. I think so, yep. Like, absolutely absurd. Dear God, stop doing this. Like, please give us a breath. And we're also seeing games released over the course of the whole year instead of just the fall and the winter, which is really, really good. And I think that gives Mm -hmm. everybody a chance to breathe. So, Yep. Well, uh, speaking of having a chance to breathe, I am glad that I was able to beat Persona 5 relatively, well, quickly, I guess. (laughs) Took like three weeks. Uh, because another game that I was highly anticipating came out just last week, and that was Trails in the Sky the Third. Yes! Yeah, it's uh, so we went from having, like, two Legend of Heroes games out in the West to, what, five? Or, yeah, five in <laughs> the course of maybe a year and a half or so. Man, Exceed has really picked up on uh, getting the series out over here, and I'm really glad that they have, because it is the kind of series that is so heavily steeped in lore and characterization that missing out on parts of it is like, it hurts. It hurts to not know uh, what all's going on. So as we've discussed, uh, Legend of Heroes series, the Trails series, as it were, um, what there are like seven games in? Uh, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, the eighth one would be Trails of Cold Steel 3, which is coming out in Japan this year. So we're, we're taking some steps backwards. Uh, Trails in the Sky, the third, just released for PCs. The original game... Oh, I'll say, by the way, uh, this is only available on PC this time around because I fully can't blame any company who doesn't want to work on releasing a PSP game in 2017. And to think that they would and to demand that they do is unreasonable. So mm-hmm. check yourselves. Yes. Uh, the fact that it's here at all is is awesome. So it runs, It'll run on any PC. It runs on anything. It's, it's so old. Yeah, you can run it on the crappiest PC. Go buy, like... Well, okay, that's that's privileged. But I was going to say, like, go buy a crappy PC at Best Buy for $100 or whatever. Like, anything will run this game. So, Trails in the Sky 3rd, um, you know, released quite a, quite a while ago in Japan. I want to say, like, 09 was when it released. I could be off on that. But here we are. It's finally here. Um, considering we had to wait, like, four years between Trails in the Sky 1 and 2, I'm happy with only having had to wait, like, two for Trails in the Sky 3. And then we've had all the Cold Steel stuff in the meantime. So, um so there was there was a pretty there's still a uh, linear story of sorts to follow here, but Trails in the Sky two really wrapped up the story of Estelle and Joshua, which had started in the first game. Trails in the Sky three focuses on Kevin Graham. He's a priest in the Septian Church, and he was a character who was 
introduced in Trails in the Sky 2 as like a, a supporting cast member. Um, there's more to Kevin than really met the eye in that game. And uh, you think that he's just kind of an upbeat, happy-go-lucky, sort of oafish guy who doesn't really take his responsibilities as a priest very seriously. Um, and again, I don't want to de- delve too much into spoilers, but this game, first of all, you absolutely have to play Trails in the Sky 1 and 2 to play this. There's no way around that. Uh, there's the, the story builds so heavily upon those two that there's there's no way to jump in. Unlike Cold Steel, which you could reasonably start with, this one you can't at all. So, you know, Kevin is a pretty troubled guy, actually, and he's he's not as maybe kind on the surface as he seems to be. I mean, he's, you know, he's not a, a bad guy, but there's there's some darkness in his past. So this game basically is exploring Kevin's story and also fleshing out the world and sort of all the people who were in Trails in the Sky 1 and 2. And it does that by really shaking up the structure of the game. And in this one, instead of being like a, a linear adventure that you follow, you know, uh, across the land, uh, Kevin and uh, his childhood friend Reese are trapped in like this, this world called Phantasma. It's basically an illusory world where they're going, they're progressing through it because somebody trapped them there. And throughout this entire world, you find all of these doors that contain memory fragments and so by fulfilling certain conditions, which vary from door to door, you can see glimpses of the past. So like, what what's this character doing after the end of Trails in the Sky 2? Or like, how did Sherazard, the senior bracer, how did she become a bracer? Like, how did she meet her friend Ina? How did uh, the Sky Bandits from Trails in the Sky 1, like what happened to them? Did they, they, they it turns out that they started up a courier service. So it's like, what's happening with them? So a lot of this information is uh, maybe not, necessary to feel satisfied with how trails in the sky two ended up, but it's all like so enriching to, because it, it really fleshes out and makes this world feel even more alive, which is like, you know, the big highlight of the series. And it even, I mean, it even foreshadows stuff that happens in trails of cold steel one and two. And it's, it's super cool to see how everything ties together. Uh, because, I mean, like, they were laying the foundation for a lot of this stuff so far back. And I've talked time and time again about how I love how intricate the plot threads are. But this game is really just highlighting what good world building they have. Um, and it is, it's something of a fan service game, although it's it's not just like, oh, LOL, this character's here for no reason. It's they, they, they do weave in a pretty good plot reason for a lot of the characters coming together again. But this is very much a game that you need to have played the first two to get anything out of. Was that long-winded enough? Did I did I cover it all? Uh, Caitlin, are you playing this as well? Oh, well, she's not here. Sorry, I was muted. Um, oh. <laughs> no, I'm I'm I have to play the first two games. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. I am very close to finally finishing Cold Steel Two because I'm incredibly slow player. Um, so once I finish that, I intend to backtrack and uh, I'm going to rebuy uh, Trails 1 on Steam and then play through all three on my laptop. So yeah. I, It's uh, an investment. Uh, yes. like these games are all very long, so I totally don't blame you whatsoever. And this one is probably the most impenetrable of them all, seeing as it is the third in a series that requires, like, what, 50-plus hours each for the first two? So... Yeah, it's it's not easy to get into, but I will say that if you are a fan of the Trail series um, whatsoever, even if you've only played Cold Steel, I think it's it's worth checking out uh, the earlier entries, and it's it's worth supporting because I know that the they want to bring more over. They want to bring the the two missing games, 
zero Nokiseki and Anokiseki over. And the only way that they can do that is Please. if there is sufficient support for the rest of the series. So, And everyone says that zero and Ao are the best. The best really. yeah. So I, I, and zero, holy crap, has amazing music. So mm-hmm. I need it. So yeah, buy them. Buy them. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. I'll say it's, um, the pacing is con- considerably different. And I, I think that some people will find it jarring. I know I found it jarring. I've adjusted to it, but it's it's like it's just kind of weird to go from a like I said, a like a chronologically linear story to jumping back and forth in time to different characters, different perspectives and stuff. But it's also like some of the stuff they throw in is so unexpected. Like there's there's a a gang that hangs out at the warehouses in one of the cities in Trails in the Sky One who you beat up and then they're like, Oh no. They're they're like your typical cartoon goons. And Trails in the Sky 3 has an entire flashback where you play as the three of them training to become bracers. It's like the fact that they bothered to go back and connect all of those dots. Just I'm consistently astounded by the the attention to detail, I guess, in their world building. So, yeah, Trails in the Sky 3 is uh, pretty cool. I'm like, I'm in chapter six of eight. And uh, I don't know how many hours I have in it, like maybe 30 or 40, which I know is a pretty big <laughs> range. But I'll have a review of that up probably within the next week, maybe two weeks max. So keep an eye out for that, I guess. Hmm. And then what was the, what else are you playing, Rob? What was the last game you wanted to talk about today? Uh, I think the only other thing was uh, Persona 5, just, you know, some roundabout thoughts. I've really had a hard time sticking with it. I think uh, it's it's a couple of things. It's not the game is bad. That That's not the case. I think I was a little burned out, like, playing 20 hours of Persona 3 to finish that finally. Like, I went back to an old save and finished that just a few weeks before Persona 5 came mm-hmm. out. But I also find, like, Persona 5, I have to really... I have to set aside time to play it. It's a lot like Yakuza 0 in that respect, where, like... I can't just play for, like, an hour. I have to set aside, like, two or three hours to play that game, and I'm just... I'm finding that very, very difficult. So I'm kind of hoping that Prey will... After I finish that up and get the review posted for that, that then I'll go back to Persona 5, because I am digging it. It, This is not me saying that it's a bad game at all. I'm really enjoying it, but I kind of find myself just... I get home and I end up going, you know what, I'd rather just take a nap because I <laughs> I can get an hour-long nap or I can play an hour of Persona 5 and not really feel like I get anywhere, which is which is tough, I think, a little bit. Yeah, and that's not necessarily a fault of the game. It's just... It's uh, true of all Persona I, games, really. Yeah, I think they're just... They're mentally taxing kind of games. And this is something I said even uh, about... Because I reviewed Dragon Quest Heroes 2. And I think I talked about that in the last episode. The Dragon Quest Heroes 2 was sort of a mindless game, and I really appreciated that after how exhausting Persona 5 was. Because I wasn't ready to jump into another full-length RPG right after Persona yeah. 5. That game just takes it out of you. And, I mean, it's fantastic. It just, it's a commitment. So um, I, I get where you're coming from there. I think it's it's worth sticking through, and I think that you will. But, yeah, it's a, it's a big game. Yeah. I have over 100 hours in it, and I'm in the latter half of August, so wow. I take for, I move through uh, Persona games like molest. I, I play games slower than most in general, but Persona games, like it took me the better part of a year to, to actually finish Persona 4 Golden, and I was playing it a lot. It's just, you know, it's, they're all super dense games, mm-hmm. and um, I'm the kind of person also who I use guides for my first playthrough. I don't 
with especially with a game like Persona, I don't like you know wasting a playthrough trying to figure it out myself when I can just read a guide and tells me okay you should meet with this person today and you know I I I mix things up as I need to based on like maybe I didn't get through a dungeon in one day like I was supposed to so you know I, I will adjust as need be but so that also kind of impacts uh, playtime but I just I take my time and Persona 5 really does need you to take your time because you're take your time except when yeah except when Morgana's like go to sleep now and I'm like dude I can totally I can make make my own decisions I can watch a little bit of the X folders oh those are so good (laughs) I love those those are so good the the DVDs and the movies (sighs) The Cake Knight rises, I, and they they use dialogue from Dark Knight like at uh, literally, and just changed it to talk about uh, confectionaries. And I was like, yes. I, and there's I'm, a I'm sorry, I had to geek out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a parody of Les Misérables called Maze Miserable that oh, UK yeah. drags you to go see, and and they did. They 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 had the dialogue, the little dialogue that they do is is um, a a playoff, uh, an early part of the musical where Valjean steals uh, silverware from the bishop, the bishop that helps him, and they play on it. But I'm just like, it's so perfect that Yusuke wanted to go see Les Mis, and I'm like, Les Mis is in Persona Five. What? Uh, th- there is one minor thing that's really annoying me about Persona 5, and I know you guys are going to roll your eyes at this. Every time I go to the Airsoft shop and I still don't have the Guts rating oh, to open up the so package, annoying. why in the world did they do that? I have to sit through that dialogue every time I go there, and I'm not, I'm like at level 2 on Guts. I, it's going to take me like the entire game. I dread going there every yeah, no. time. I didn't. I didn't even finish that link. I, I got the guts necessary, and I think I raised him like one level higher than that by the end of the game. Just to get rid of that dialogue option, like, <laughs> oh my god, it's so bad. Like that. That's one of those. Like, okay, how did this make it through? Like, what? What the hell? And I know that that's a minor complaint, but like, whoo boy. I also missed the uh, the prompt to to like figure out how to go get a job. So, like, I kept trying to, like, go to the burger joint and work, and I was like, man, they're really just not letting me in there. I didn't know you had to go find the pamphlet. Mm-hmm. That was really annoying. Like, that, there's there are just a couple little things in that game that were, like, minor annoyances. Like, the first time you get to a map area, and they're like, come on, we have to go this way, and I just have to test eg- every exit in order to get out of the area. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. Like, do I go oh, over well, No. Trying no. to figure out the train system on your first what? day of school. Oh, <laughs> Like crazy. I think, yeah. So while that was a bother, I'm actually of the opinion that that entire sequence was to sort of immerse you in the, like the feeling of being lost in a new big city. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. To, to really it. make you feel that, and then and then they give you the convenience of fast travel afterwards. But yeah, no, I, I oh, no, I, I, I liked yeah. it. It wasn't it wasn't a ding on the game. I just thought yeah. it was kind of like. I was I was the same. Like I knew I didn't have a time limit because you you never have. It's never real time in Persona games. So I knew I could take my time and explore. But at the same time, I was like, you don't want to be late to school. And I'm like, okay, so maybe I should just try to find the Ginza line and get there, get to Aoyama immediately. And yeah, yeah. there there been a couple of those moments that feel like a slight regression, like the uh, the trying to find the guys that are uh, doing nefarious things in Shibuya, and it's like I have to go over here and talk to this guy, or now I have to go down here, and now I have to find a member of my crew. That actually felt a little bit like some of the worst parts of Dragon Quest Seven, where like which person do I have to talk Ugh, to to get the story? That was to so bad, Dragon Quest Seven. 
yeah, like if you do not talk to this one guy with a purple hat, like the story is not going to continue. And there was a little, there was just enough of that in Persona 5 to annoy me a little bit. Like not rage, but there were just a couple moments like that during the investigations, like to open up the palaces that I was getting a little frustrated with. Like I get why you're doing this, but. I have two pet peeves. One is. I don't know why we still have this stupid setup where the main character dies. It's game over. That is that is that needs that's Atlas. Complete. That needs to be done with. It's it's an artificial difficulty that is unfortunately really cheap. Like especially yeah. in the first dungeon, at some point you have to fight enemies that are like like ten levels above you in order to get keys. They are very dangerous, and I learned quickly if I just basically don't have my main character block and they hit me, it's going to one shot me, and I'm going to lose all my progress. That needs to be done with. And you can mitigate it somewhat when you level up your party members. You, I, you guys mentioned this uh, last episode about having them potentially take a fatal attack for you, but it's always described as being a chance. It's never a given. And if you die, you might lose half an hour or an hour's worth of progress. It just kind of is, it's a scary thing where I find myself playing conservative with the main character, making sure that I never have a persona that has a weakness because I'm afraid if I get hit with it, they'll just spam on me and I'll die. And it's nice that in boss battles, you can retry. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I miss the, what they did with persona Four golden, where if you die on a floor, you just restart at the beginning of that floor. You don't lose all yeah. of your progress. And it would be hard to do that with the way the dungeons are set up in this game, because you don't really have floors per se. in a lot of them, um, you have different areas, but you don't have like floor one, floor two, floor three, but it still would have been nice. If there was something that said, well, if you die, maybe you just, you restart at the last safe room. That you found, and you didn't lose your progress. Like that yeah. would be nice. Like, or that's... maybe you lose a little bit of experience and whatnot, you know, to to penalize you. But you don't like have to reload from whenever you last saved, which could have been a while ago if you were like feeling kind of brazen. Yeah. My other pet peeve is, I know that we talked about the no game romances and how I wasn't surprised. It's a, it's a disappointment. I'm actually really disappointed now because Yusuke is so perfect. And I feel like Atlas is trolling me with all of his, oh yeah, all of his lines and it, all the things you can do with him, like being on a, on a boat on the on, on, a, on a on a lake, which is seen as a romantic thing, and they play it straight. And I'm like, yeah, because there's even that dialogue that says, um, you know, this is a couples only place, and that woman's yeah. like, oh, couples only. That must mean, you know, there are people from all walks of life inside the city. And, and like, you can like pose for him. You can like you don't actually pose for him nude, but you can at, you can say, "You want me to strip?" And he's like, "Yes." And I'm like, "What?" It is so, it's such a tease. I, yeah, it's I, horrible. We yeah. I don't want to like open up the can of worms again. Persona Five does so many things incredibly well that that felt especially egregious to me. But yeah, I think it would have been better if they just leaned into it. Like. I would have been the guy that said, wouldn't it have been cool if they just, that was the only romance option. Like, play with fan expectations a little bit, give you these cute, you know, anime girls, and then it turns out that the only real romance option is Yusuke. He is the only cool. real romance option. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm like settling for, I have three girls that I'm, I'm not sure which one I want to date, because I play Persona Games monogamous, so I don't date everyone. Makoto, um, Makoto, Makoto. Yeah, I know. Ma- hard choice. Well, yeah. Makoto... <laughs> I like Makoto, but I feel kind of weird about dating her because she is so me. 
she is like 90% me. I can, I see so much of myself in her. And on the one hand, I'm like, cool. I want to have the, the cute guy date me. But on the other hand, I feel kind of weird. Like, am I picking her just because? Yeah. Um, but no, if Yusuke was an option, none of the girls would be anywhere close. I would date Yusuke. And I, as much as, as I'm disappointed that Atlas doesn't give you that opportunity, I'm actually really kind of amazed that I feel that way because I'm, you know, I am a straight woman. I've sometimes been interested in gay relationships, but I don't usually play characters that way. If I can choose a gender, I play a woman and I usually play her straight. But I'm like, hey, I would totally be down for the main character being with Yusuke. And it's, it's so similarly with a uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. I'm like, I like Vetra a lot. I could see my 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 femme writer romancing her over male characters. And that's a good sign. You've made a character that I like, that I can see that working. And not like a, I'm going to pretend the main character is a girl and I'm dating a guy. No, I can see it working as a homosexual relationship. And it's cool. And I like that. And they, I feel like they're teases, though, because they made that character work that well. And then it's like, no, you can't date him. So fix that in the eventual uh, Persona 5 Crimson version, please, Atlas. <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy if they did that? I'd be down. I think that'd be awesome. I mean, they I added a romance it. option to Golden, so you might as well. Like, sure, yeah. do it. Uh, but yeah, Caitlin's 100% right on the game gameplay side for sure. Like that was that felt jarring the first time the main character went down, and I like lost progress, especially after SMT4 and then Apocalypse went a step further, and it was like Dogda just picks you up, dusts you off, and they're like, "Okay, you want you want to try again?" Except in one area where it doesn't do that, and it's terrible. Like just one area at the end of the game, they're like, "Nope, we're not going to give you that option anymore." And then it comes back. So it's like, what? Why? That's ah, a weird game. It's a really weird game. I do really like it, though. I I, I know I'm like, this is becoming oh, yeah. a Eve train, but I'm really liking it. Um, I, I really don't know if I'll like it more than Persona 4 Golden, because Persona 4 just holds a really special place in my heart and the, the cast of characters, too. But I... I like a lot of the people. I'm enjoying virtually every uh, confidant link, um, some more than others, but I'm liking a lot of them, whereas I didn't really give much of a two craps about most of the social links outside of your crew in Persona 4. You know, I did them, but some of them were really, you know, kind of blah. Um, So that's a plus. And um, I agree with Rob uh, that Morgana is uh, an amazing mascot character i love teddy too i mean like teddy's okay um but i love morgana morgana's way better than teddy sorry i I hate morgana so much he's i feel so bad for on because there there's a cat that wants to bone her and i just (laughs) the poor woman i mean come on morgana's awesome no i hate him I wouldn't. I would. He doesn't, doesn't do that that much. It's not like Teddy, where it's like every word out of Morgana's mouth is, "I want the ladies to have all their hands That's over true. me." That is. Yuki Chan's in danger. Like. Yuki <laughs> <laughs> Chan's in danger. <laughs> so be, yeah, uh, Morgana does need to uh, leave me alone and let me make my own choice. Yeah, let me go. To, let me do yes. my crap. I can watch something before going to bed and still get a full night's sleep. Damn my it, cat! Salosi um, made this comment last time, but my cats definitely don't let me sleep at night. That, that, is, that is just not true. Like, if you own cats, right. 
That is it's a- time. It's time for a, a molten hot think piece. Is Persona 5's depiction of cats the most realistic ever? No, not even close. Because, like, <laughs> first off, no cat is just going to chill in your desk all day at school. Okay, they, they oh. cannot be corralled like that. Question: Does Morgana have a litter box? I ha- not that I've, I've never seen. seen sure, don't see one in game. So. Yeah, that's Maybe true. Outside cat. Maybe it's in the bathroom downstairs. I don't know. Mm, I love. How yeah. I've turned. I've turned all my cat uh, owner friends into uh, feline pine people because that's just the right way to go when it comes to cat litter. I used to have a litter box in my old apartment. I had the litter box like in the same room as my computer, and I was oh, using. No. Yeah, like one day I just opened up my computer. And I was like, okay, that's a lot of cat litter dust, and uh-huh. then we switched over to feline pine, which is much much better. So, uh, feline, a random encounter brought to you by feline. <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, say. <laughs> but you got to go to a tractor store and get the cheap stuff, like the $5, 40-pound bag of it. Like, it is oh, okay. fantastic. You're going to pay, like, three to four times as much at a PetSmart. So, I'm, I'm guessing it would work with ferrets, too, because ferrets are litter animals, right? They are, but they have to have special litters because yeah. a lot of those are, they either have uh, problems with allergens or they're um, bad for their digestive system and stuff so uh, you got yeah. like special paper stuff yeah uh, they're sensitive mm-hmm. just like me uh, well i think that about does it for this episode and i think next time we're gonna have our e3 discussion because we gotta start getting hyped up it's only like a month away right now and that's kind of no. we're gonna start seeing the leaks i mean we saw a darksiders 3 leak this week which oh my god that game did not look good at all like that that was that was definitely a pre-alpha demo. Like they showed that off, and I was like, "Really? Like that's yee." Also, didn't everybody hate Darksiders too? I thought. Yeah, I know I did. <clears throat> I, I, I was really... kind of wondering, like, who was asking for Darksiders three? I like Darksiders one, but like Darksiders two was like it, just because th- this goes back to the Neo discussion from a few weeks ago. Like, not every game needs a loot system. Like, sometimes a loot system just makes the game unnecessarily complicated, and I don't quite get it. I still haven't played the new Neo uh, DLC. I don't know if I'm going to or not. I I did really end up liking that game, but I just... The idea of more loot hacking in that game just... Eh, I don't know. They have a good base. I, yeah, I don't want to be, like, the hater of the episode, but Darksiders 3 is, like the exact opposite of my taste in pretty much every way. I just, I think that looks so bad, but whatever. Yeah, it it didn't look good. Uh, Darksiders 1 was good. I mean, it it was a Zelda clone. It didn't have a whole lot of ingenuity, but it played well. Yeah, it's the kind of, yeah, no, never mind. No, thank you. You you don't like the art design. I I totally feel you like that. I don't like the art design that much either. It reads very juvenile to me. Yeah, no, I I can see that. I, I like a little bit. I don't need the giant, you know, 1990s uh, testosterone-fueled comic book characters. Like, you know, the one picture of Captain America where his chest, you could literally, like, sit a dinner plate on it. Like, it, it is just that big. Like, yeah. I, I don't I don't really dig a lot of that stuff either. Yeah. Not for me, but... Yeah. But E3 is around the corner. I am looking forward to what we're going to see there. Fingers crossed on a new Shin Megami Tensei, some kind of announcement or something. Yeah, Xenoblade 2, Xenoblade 2, Xenoblade 2. Oh my god, oh, yes. if that comes out yes. this year, I'm going to die. I, they, I, have, I, they have reconfirmed. It's on track. It's on track. Yeah. It. They keep saying it. And it looks... So the one thing about Xenoblade 2, I will say, the very little bit we've seen, 
it looks like it's more finished than when Xenoblade Chronicles X was just around the corner, if that makes sense. Like, Xenoblade Chronicles X, like, you saw the cutscenes, and they didn't look that interesting, at least to me. They didn't look that interesting. I wasn't really into it. The very little bit they've shown of Xenoblade 2 seems to have so much more personality and look and flash to it. it well, I just it, think mm-hmm. the character designs are... I mean, I know they're really super anime, but they look a lot more colorful and, yeah. and exciting than... I agree. I don't like their faces, but maybe that was. I mean, that was early footage too, so that could change. I didn't. I didn't really like the, especially the main character without his face. Yeah, yeah. I I do like. I agree. I think that they're they're more um, standout designs than Xenoblade because X, like, aside from uh, Elma, the cast is just like blah. You know, they're all there. Yeah, none of them really stand out in any way. The one female character that they've shown in red, I like her face. Like that. Like she looks good. Yeah, Yeah. that's fine. I think the main character, maybe it's just that screaming thing that he's doing when he's running at yeah. the camera. Maybe I think his eyes are really too, anim- you know, anime glassy, whatever. Yeah, they look much. kind of weird. And I'm going to be changing him out of that default outfit as soon as I find her clothes. You don't, you don't like it looking like he just has a bunch of metal, like pieces of sheet metal hanging off of him? Like he has like, baggy metal pants. That's what it looks like. And I'm like, mm, no. Okay, um, it's it's better than uh, obtuse uh, Lederhosen for uh, uh, Titus in Final Fantasy X. Well, everything's better than that. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> if I will say one thing controversial though about Xenoblade Two, um, I love Mitsuda. I really love Mitsuda, and I'm sure he's going to have some great stuff for us. But I want to hear more about what Ace Plus are bringing because we know that they're doing music for the game. All the news is about oh, Mitsuda's been recording the live uh, with a live orchestra. It brought a tear to his eye. That's great. But it has me kind of worried about what the breakdown of the, com- the competence is going to be. If he's just going to fill the sort of the same role that Shimamura did, where he does some of the music, some of the cutscenes, some of the battles, but a lot of it is more Ace Plus, or if he's doing most of the music and Ace Plus are just throwing in a few things. Because, like I said, I love Mitsuda, but if that's the case, I might actually be a little bit disappointed because Ace Plus really made the original Xenoblade soundtrack, in my from my perspective. So, I love that game. And then I, uh, I, Caitlin, don't yell at me. I have to decide what? if I'm going to try to play Final Fantasy XII again. This is going to be like the fifth you, time. No, you don't have to decide. You're going to play it again. I know. And you're going to like it. I, I find that game so goddamn boring. Grab I'm a whoop, yo. Fast forward it this time. I, I know. And I did that when I was playing the Zodiac job system version like two, three years ago. And I still, I, I think they made a better version of that game. And it's called Xenoblade. And I, I like that game a whole lot more. I'm going to try. I'm really going to try again. I, right, well, I want to end this podcast before I break down sobbing. So I, know, just... I, know, I know, I know, I know, but I, I if just... you don't, we're going to have an episode. that's just me telling you why you're wrong and why you should play it. Okay. And you can explain to me why that last dungeon in the game is just a giant, like walking session of boredom in this awful green palace. And I'll just, I, I do like how in final fantasy, Twelve. The side characters are more interesting than the main cast. Oh yeah, Redis is awesome. Yeah, Redis is awesome, and I would I'd much rather him be the main character or like the kind of Oren character. And instead, you get him for one dungeon, and then he just kind of leaves. He's also voiced by Phil Lamar, which is fantastic. Mm. Yeah, and uh, isn't somebody is voiced by? Uh, uh, oh my god, your husbando, Caitlin from F- em- Emmerich. Isn't somebody Emmerich's voice in? 12 or am I misremembering? Uh, I don't. No, remember. no, no. It's, it's, he's, um, he's Alvis. Oh, I'm sorry. Xenoblade. 
Rianger. Rianger is uh, is he oh. both here? Yeah, yeah. Getting an Emery is both here. Okay, got it. Uh, you mean two point oh, uh, Rianger? Because it's a different voice actor and oh word. yeah. Uh-huh. They, which I mean, he sounds fine, but I kind of wish they had stuck with Gideon Emery because Balthier. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So that does it for this episode of Random Encounter. For- Tangential Encounter. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For <laughs> Derek, Caitlin, and Nick, we will see you all later. E3 Bye. hype. <laughs>